Thank you for your love. Thank you for your peace and joy. Thank you for your precious word. Help us, Lord, to come to a greater understanding of your provision, your promises, your love, and our inheritance today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now let's look at First Peter. We see in Ephesians 1 that God has blessed us, past tense, perfect tense, with every spiritual blessing. Amen? Some people say, well, that's in, uh, in heaven. No. It's for eternity, and it starts at the moment of your salvation. For the here and now, as well as the sweet by and by. Amen. First Peter, Second Peter, did I say first? Second Peter, chapter 1, starting at the second verse. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That makes my ears perk up already. To know that grace and peace can be multiplied to me. Because those are the things we're after really, right? Alright. In the knowledge of God, there's the how-to. And of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things. That pertain to life, this life, and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Verse 4. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I'm going to talk to you about the actual form in which our inheritance comes in Christ. And this is what he's talking about here. It's amazing because Peter was, a, in all accounts, an un, unlearned, uneducated man, a fisherman. But he says some very, very... Profound uh, spiritual truths, which is proof that the Holy Spirit wrote this Bible. He just led 50 different writers over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years how to do it. Amen. And they're all in agreement. First of all, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. I want to point out that God is not poor. He is not broke. He owns everything. He created everything. And he really, everything in this world that you can see, he created for your benefit. For the benefit of mankind. There got, you got people out there chaining themselves to trees and they'll kill people for a tree or to keep you from digging the oil out of the ground which God put here to, to, to fill our needs until he destroys it all. Amen. Not to say we're not to take care of the things he's put in our care. We are. But not to use them is ridiculous. He anticipated every need we would ever have and every sin that would cause the destruction and the other things. He anticipated it all before he ever put one of us here. He hasn't created anything since he created in the Garden of Eden and he made everything 
in seed form to reproduce after its own kind, so forth. We continue to talk about that in the past, and we will more in the future. But he's not poor, and he doesn't want his children to walk around in lack either. This is a fact. He's the author and the source of everything good in this entire universe and wherever else there is. And he provides for his children in abundance. Yes, he does. It says here, the second point is that through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Two things there. God is the only source and Jesus is the only channel. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by or through me. He's not just one of the ways. Amen. Amen. In verse... Four... It says, by which He has granted to us His great and precious promises. This, this is something He's already done. He's already given us all that we need. Peter says two times that it's all contained in knowing Jesus. Amen. In verse 2, He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge or through the knowledge of of God and of Jesus Christ. So there's the knowledge of. And then in verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. He says it again. However, the word in the the Greek is, is, a, is a little different than the first one. The first one is, is in the, 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 the coming to know or to understand knowledge of, gaining knowledge of. And the, and the second time he uses, it's the acknowledging of. That's important. That's important. In Philemon... In the King James Version, he talks about the fact that your faith is strengthened through the acknowledging of every good thing that's in you. Speaking it out. Saying it. If you, I tell people, they come complaining about this or that or him or her, so forth and so on. I say, you keep saying what you see, you're going to have what you say. Say what God says. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because without a doubt, when we talk about these things, people, whether they say it or not, or want to believe it or not, or admit it or not, it comes to the point where, well, if it's all mine, where is it? Right? I get that every every other day from folks. And not in so many words. 
but like God is shortchanging them somehow. And then they tell me how they all their qualifications and their justification and why they deserve. You see, and right there they've just put the the foot on the neck. That's probably not good terminology in these days, but I mean nothing by it of the grace of God. Because they're telling me they've earned something from God. He owes them something, you see? I've done all this, and why hasn't God done this? You see what I mean? When we think that way, we're effectively putting ourselves on the throne of God instead of just submitting and yielding and surrendering and saying, just as I am without one plea, here I am. I come broken to be mended. I come empty to be filled. You see what I'm saying? Why are Christians lacking? Why are they in need? Verse 3 says He's given us everything. Verse 4 says He has given us His promises. Now we're getting somewhere. The conclusion, everything we will ever need for all time and eternity is contained in the promises of God in this book. I've been telling you for two weeks that there's around 8,000 of them. And for you, in Christ, they're yes and amen. Amen. All of the curses, you can reject. You can speak against it. Anything you find in Deuteronomy 28, after he lists the curses, he lists the blessings. Anything on the curse side, you can say, well, Jesus bore that on the cross for me. I'm not putting up with that, devil. Get out of here. You can speak to it in the name of Jesus. Get out. Smith Wigglesworth woke up one night. Somebody at the foot of his bed, he got the candle. It was the devil standing there. He said, oh, it's just you. Get out of here. And he blew out the candle went back to bed. Lester Summerall was over some country and uh, ministering, and uh, he woke up. Or he, he woke up in the night, and uh, the devil had moved his bed all the way across the room against the other wall. And he got up and he put his bearings together, and he realized, "Hey, this thing's been moved all the way over there." And he realized the devil had done it. He said, "Put it back in the name of Jesus," and that bed went. Shoo! Believe it or don't, it's true. The provision is in the promises. Amen? Amen. That's the that's the thing to remember. So if you want to find the provision for your particular need, find the promise pertaining to it. If he did it for one, he'll do it for you. He's no respecter of persons. That's why we don't bow to people. We don't get on our knees to people. Even in the Bible, angels came and appeared to, to men, even in Revelation to John, and they just hit the floor, you know. And one of the angels tell them, no, no, get up, get up. I'm just a servant, just like you. Amen. Amen. You have one God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Amen. Amen. But Christians have to learn to apply this simple truth in their lives. I talk about the spiritual laws that God has in place and learning to cooperate with them all the time. Well, this is a big one. This is a big one because it applies to everything in our lives. 
God has made provision. He's granted it. He's already done it. When God says, I've done it, then it's done. Legally. Legally. But do you know that you could have an inheritance that's all yours and you could never lay claim to it and you would never experientially benefit from that inheritance, right? It's the same way with God. Yeah. Some Christians get real comfortable in the, uh, with the doctrine that God is sovereign. Because we know He's the Alpha and Omega. There's nobody greater, no more powerful, no more knowing. He's omniscient, omnipotent. All that out of bag of chips. But let me tell you something. He gave us a free will. He gave us dominion. We gave it away in this earth. He got it back for us through Christ. If we enter in through Christ, we have it back. But there are things that He has put in place that apply to our experiential possession of the things that He's provided for us. People don't like that. They'd rather think, well, if, if, if this is something God is putting me through or, you know, this, He put this cancer on me, He put this divorce on me, He put this poverty on me, all those things are from the devil. I look at a young woman who's lost a husband at an early age. A church that would tell a, a, a woman like that that God did that is wrong. And you know that's the design of the devil to make that person bitter with God. And, and why wouldn't they be if it was really, you know, but it's not. I don't even want to talk about it anymore because God loves us way more than we ever we love our own children. And just think of how much we love our own children. God loves us more than that. Way more. It's the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. Amen? So how do we move in and possess the provision of God? Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. And you can still stay in Joshua if you want. I'll just tell you. Romans 12, verses 8 through 17. Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. I don't know if that's what I said. I think it is. He says, So then, brethren, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S, you put to death the deeds, you see there, the helper, if by the Spirit, not of your own efforts and struggles and strive to be good, to get good. No. But the Spirit will help you. Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided 
we suffer with Him in order that we may be also be glorified with Him. People stop short of the ifs and the buts, you see. There's an if here. That provided that. That's an if. If we suffer with Him. See, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If, you don't, if your spirit doesn't bear witness that you are the ch- a child of God, then you, then, you, then you don't have His endorsement. But those of you that know that you are children of God, you have become co-heirs with Christ. Adopted children of God with the same rights and privileges as the natural born child himself, Jesus. And everything that he earned, you're entitled to. Amen. Amen. That's good news. Two amazing results come from this. Once we know that we're a child of God, but the if, if provided that, if we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. (laughs) People stop short of that. I'm a child of God. I'm a father. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Okay, finish the scripture. (laughs) If the Spirit bears witness, okay, yes. You're all here. I believe that I believe that you have called upon the Lord Jesus and He's your Savior. You're a child of God. You don't have to feel it. It's not a something you know with your natural senses, but you have an unction, you have a knowing from God. If or provided that we suffer. Listen, when you start living for God, you're going to suffer a little bit. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're traveling the same direction. <laughs> Two things happen. We, when we do this, when we agree with God, we become His child and we enter into our pilgrim's progress. Amen. Along that narrow path, not the broad highway to hell, but that narrow path, which is Jesus himself, you're going to suffer some hardship. And it's, uh, it's good to understand this, because God's made all provision for you, for your protection, provision, prosperity, in the midst of adversity, peace, love, and joy. <clears throat> First thing is that a positive thing. We participate in the very nature of God through appropriating the promises. That's what it said in in, in Second Peter. Do I need to read it again? We participate in the very nature of God by learning to participate in the spiritual laws He's put in place for our provision. Getting rid of doubt and unbelief. Trusting in Him. Searching out the promises that pertain to our life. For our children. For our families. For our salvation. For our health. For our prosperity. For our peace of mind. 
John 14, 27, Jesus said on that fateful night, Peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give. Thank God. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's our part. It's a relationship. When you get into fear and doubt and unbelief, it's like Peter walking on that water. He was blessed. He was amazed. He was walking on the water just like Jesus. And then he's like, wait a minute. This is crazy. He started looking around. He saw the wind and the waves. He's like, oh, this is nothing right about this. And he started sinking. You see, he didn't sink. You know, I've never seen anyone start sinking in my life. Have you? He just sank. But he started sinking because... Doubt and unbelief starting fear starting to try to come back on him, yet he was trying to remain in faith. So fear and doubt and unbelief were playing a tug of war in his spirit, and he began to sink, and Jesus had to reach out and pick him up, didn't he? It's the same with us. So by this, or through these promises, we become more and more divine or Christ like. That's the goal. Less of the old, less of the world, more of Him. Glory to glory. We are becoming more and more and more like Him. It says when we see Him, we will know Him because we will be like Him. The second thing is it a, neg- a negative or something that's taken away. We escape the corruption in this world which comes through sinful desires. This old or that old corrupt nature that we had that was evicted when our spirit was born again and restored, renewed, and sealed. But it left some stuff junk behind, right? In this soulish realm, which is being saved. You see, it's always past, present, and future in our salvation because we're three-part beings. And if you don't understand that from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, you you'll miss a lot to do with God because it'll seem confusing. If I already have it, where is it? You have it in the Spirit. You have it legally, just like your salvation. And your Spirit is already accomplished. Now your soul is being renewed through the washing of the water of the Word. As you agree with God and become more and more in agreement with the Spirit, with the mind of Christ in you, this soul is being renewed. And it, and it, now you know in part, when you see Him, you will know all things. Then it will be complete. That part of your salvation will be complete. And this body will be exchanged for an incorruptible one. Amen. Amen. So we escape the corruption of the world through sinful desires. That old corrupt nature which is corrupt physically, morally, and spiritually is all getting washed away. It's already gone, but it left some remnants in the, in the old data bank, you see. The soulish realm. <laughs> so turn over to Joshua now. And I'll finish up here because I just want to show you an example. The book of Joshua is a great pattern for Christians to learn how to enter into their inheritance. A great pattern for Christians to learn how to enter into their inheritance. The book of Joshua. Something from the old 
which is a physical representation of a spiritual truth. That's how everything in the Old Testament is. That's why Jesus used natural examples to talk about spiritual things. We can draw from the Old Covenant to see types and shadows. Everything was in type and shadow. Even the book of Joshua in the Hebrew, that's the same name in a different form as Jesus. Yeshua, Joshua, okay? And he's a type and shadow of Jesus in this particular ministry in his life. Moses was a picture of the law. Moses, although he served God and did great, I mean, God himself buried him up on that mountain. What a privilege. What an honor. He did his job. But the law of Moses was never, ever, ever going to bring the children of God into the promised land. The law is a picture of works, you see. By our own efforts, our own goodness, we're never going to make it into our promised land either. The only way we're getting across that eternal river Jordan is over a bridge. An old rugged cross. Amen? Amen. Joshua, the first three verses, I think. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. See, right there, it shows after the death of Moses. You see, with the with the Christian life in spiritual things, there's sort of a pattern there. It wasn't good that Moses died. I mean, the people mourned his death. He was beloved. But it had to take place in order for something else to take place. And I find that this is true in the Christian life, just like the seasons of the year. Fall follows the summer, and then winter, which is representative of death. And then after the winter, new life in the spring, you see? And a lot of times in our lives as Christians, for God to turn the page and to bring something beautiful and new into our lives, something old has to die. Sometimes you have to let go of what's in one hand to take hold of the other thing that God has for you. Amen? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, or servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you, just as I promised to Moses. And if you look in Deuteronomy, I, I can't remember the chapter, God promised the land to Moses, and that's what he's referring to. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, etc., etc., etc. The point is, I like, I like the fact, too, that he says that all... 
All of these people are to cross over. You know, in the church, preachers are glad. I tell you about the 80-20 rule, right, that they joke about, that 20, 20% of the people participate and 80% uh, spectate, you know. But And I'm glad we don't have that here. But, <laughs> but God said all the people, and I believe that there is great revival happening in this earth right now, and it is more to come, and it's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger, and there's going to re- be a real, there's a shaking taking place, as they refer to in the book of Hebrews. God said, I will shake one more time the heavens and the earth, and everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and the things which cannot will not. In other words, the things that are not of me, or of God, will be shaken. They'll be shaken loose, and it, and it begins in the household of God. So watch the things, the changes that will be taking place even in the church and as well as the world. It's going to be wonderful. You were born for such a time as this. Remember that too. Don't be afraid or discouraged. God is with you. He said all the people. And I like that. And so he says here... Going, take the land that I am giving. He says there in the second verse. And then in the third verse, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given. When God says he has given, then he doesn't have to say it again. It's done. Now, so legally, all of the land, all of the promised land belong to the Israelites. I mean, if God said it, that settles it, doesn't it? But the rest of the book goes on to talk about them and how they took possession of the land that God had given them. I want to point out that the first two things that happened, the crossing of the River Jordan and the taking of the city Jericho were miracles. Miracles are not God's best. You say, well, I sure could use a miracle and that would be the best thing I could think of right now. When you need a miracle, it's the best thing that could ever possibly happen. The thing is, God doesn't want you to... What, what does a miracle require? A crisis. He, he wants you to live and to walk in the blessing. He wants the, the blessing, His blessing that He has spoken over you to chase you down and overtake you. And to you, when you hit your knees once or twice a week, it's because you're overwhelmed by His goodness and you just have to stop and say, Lord, thank you. I just know that this is you. And I just thank you. That's the best prayer I can come up with sometimes. But that's, I, I hope I stop. I know I don't stop often enough and do it. But I do stop and do that quite often. First two things were miracles. But that's not God's best. Everything else, as you read through Joshua, they had to fight for. They had to fight for it. 
the Canaanites still possessed the land that God had given to the Israelites. There were giants in the land. Everywhere they went, someone came out in opposition to them and they had to fight. But remember, God was with them. He says to me, take off and walk through that wall right there. Well, in my natural mind, I know that I can't walk through a cinder block wall. But by my Father in heaven, I pray that if he ever asked me to walk through that wall, I just take off walking and don't ask questions. Because if he said it, that settles it. And if I die ramming my head into a concrete wall that he told me to run through, so be it. Those who trust in the Lord will not be made ashamed. That's what the Bible says over and over and over again. So, it is with the children of God. If we want to have experiential possession, not just legal right, you know, of all the things God has given us, we're going to have to fight. This is a time for Christians to know that they can't just lay down. The Christian life, I've had people tell me, that's a personal thing. <laughs> I, I can't find a single place in the New Testament that says the Christian life is supposed to be a private affair. Or even a quiet one. If you don't, <laughs> you know... You know, there's a joke, preachers preach and they think people ought to be amen or shouting and they'll say, sure is quiet in this Presbyterian church because they're quiet by design in those churches. Nothing against them. But if they think it's going to be like that when they get to heaven, they're wrong. It's going to be loud there, rejoicing and praising God and music and singing and all that. Not just harp music either. <laughs> We're going to have to fight for it, folks. The nature of God Himself is our prize. All the things that you can think of, all the needs that you need met, God calls those small things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He said, don't chase after the things the world is chasing and worrying about. I got you. I know you I know what you need before you even ask. Seek me first and the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. Like I told you last week, David said, I was young and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. God is faithful, even when we're not. He's just good that way. I got things written on the side of a page. Did you see me turn it like that? I try not to let myself use more. But I, I'll just be going around my business. I keep a, a clipboard. I'll just be doing whatever I'm doing. Lest I forget to meditate on this, you know. God is good. And... I just wanted to show you this because if you read Joshua, 
I'm trying to keep it brief here because I want to go and show you how they took possession of everything. But I'm just going to skip ahead to one thing and finish here is that some of them didn't. Some of them were just like Christians today. They sit around and they wonder why God hadn't done this or hadn't done that. And it's like, what have you done? And it's like, well, I thought... I don't. That's works. That's the law. I, you know, everything's grace now, man. You don't understand grace. Titus two eleven and twelve. Read that. The grace of God has appeared to all men. The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men. But not all men are saved, are they? But it's offered to all men. The grace of God which brings salvation has appeared unto all men, and it teaches us to live godly upright lives in this present evil age. The grace of God teaches us and empowers us to be and to do all that God has provided for us to be and do. It's not a license to sin. And there was a lot of people back before they had a temple in Jerusalem when they came into the promised land, they set up a tent or a temporary temple in Shiloh. Shiloh. Shiloh, I call it. And it was for years in Shiloh. And they began, Joshua began to give assignments of the land. This, this land is yours to the different tribes of Israel. Twelve tribes, right? This is your land. This portion is your land. And they had to go and fight the inhabitants of that land for it. But it was theirs. And God was with them. And they took possession of the inheritance that God had given them. But some didn't. Some hung around Shiloh. Around the temple. It was easy. It was comfortable. I think... With all of the persecution of Christians being killed all around the world, I think as long as it doesn't come too near to us, as long as they're not burning flags on my street, as long as they're not beating up the cops in my neighborhood, then, you know, hey, it'll get sorted out. 106 or 7 days, I think, there's an election, folks. There are natural and spiritual things that the children of God are called to do. The last time we had a presidential election, if it had gone the other way, there's a good chance that folks like me would be in jail now. Because they're not going to shut me up. But if they ever really get power, they will try. For that alone... You don't have to like the man in the office. You don't have to like his Twitter feed. You don't have to like anything about him. He's got his own salvation to work out with fear and trembling. People say, I don't like him. I say, what's that got to do with anything? The platform. He's done more for the church than any president in history. All by himself. We need to be praying for him and for the help that he needs to be surrounding him and the spiritual protection and guidance and for him to follow the lead of God. Whatever God's will is, that's what I want him to do. I prayed the same thing for the previous president and he did the opposite. 
Many people don't believe that because he called himself a Christian. Well, we'll see. One day we'll see. It doesn't matter. We love everyone. But I'm telling you, we're at a crossroads. And too many Christians are not bearing their cross. When their ideas and their thinking opposes God, they're staying with their way of thinking. And they're voting their way of thinking. And they're convincing themselves that God doesn't really interfere in these things and He doesn't care about these things. You can talk yourself into anything. Matter of fact, you can even find Scriptures to back it up if you want. The Bible says that uh, Judas went and hung himself, threw himself off a cliff, two different accounts. And then another scripture says, you therefore go and do likewise. See, you could put scriptures together <laughs> to say what you want to say. But it doesn't mean you're right. You have to eat the whole scroll, as it says in the book. And really, you could come to the you could come to the biblical knowledge of this book and never know God. I can say this. Some people call it intestinal fortitude. Would be a polite way to say it. But without guts, you're not going to see glory. You can get to heaven without a lot of doctrine. Although I think it's very important. That's why I teach. Because I think it gives you the strength to know the difference between the tricks of the devil and the truth of God. But you might get there without a lot of doctrine. But you're not going to get there without guts. And it's time for the body of Christ to stand up, to speak out, to pray like never before. We need to take back the things that have been given. There's always a vacuum, you see. There's an old cat. We got two cats. And I had them perfectly trained. They live in the garage. Have a doggy door outside to the exit for the garage side entrance and into the house for the, uh, for the dog goes out there and the cats... They can go in and outside and they sleep in the garage and it works out just great. Well, my wife has decided, <laughs> well, she's always been kind, but she's decided that Cowboy, our, our Cowboy Kitty, our miracle cat, he, uh, he's gotten a little older and she just felt like he just needed more attention and, and just, so she'd been giving him more table scraps and, and stuff like that. And now, she can't stand up without stepping on him in the house. And now she's starting to get tired of it. And I tell her, where do you think they get that old saying, don't feed them cats? You're never going to get rid of them, you know what I mean? I mean, we're going to feed our cats, of course, but I had it just right. Now, cowboy is always under our feet. And always following her around, complaining, Wah. give me something, you know. 
And I said, you know, you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. And the devil's the same way. You can't just, you know, you can't just put plain loads of cash on a tarmac to someone who hates God and wants to destroy you and expect to appease them. That's an example. And the same thing when it comes to the things of God. When we withdraw from politics as Christians, when we withdraw from entertainment, when we withdraw from the media, when we withdraw from the pulpit, the void is filled by the enemy. He'll take whatever space you give him. But believe me, as soon as Christians decide to take it back, they can We're the ones with the authority here in this earth. And really, all the people that hate you as Christians, they don't realize that you're the only thing restraining the enemy from taking over everything. Because when the Holy Spirit is gone, and He goes with us, it's going to be hell. But also remember this. I have to add a little grace to that. Because remember, whenever you're in the dark, you can't see. And those that think they know what they know and they're really fighting against God, they don't know. There may be some that just outright fighting against God and they know who He is and what He is and they just hate Him. Well, that's a terrifying thing. Salvation is really the answer for everyone. The alternative is grim. I was telling some fellows yesterday who I like very much. There's a lot of people we like in this world that don't know God. And don't just think because they're nice and you like them or whatever that they're okay. They're not. They're dead without without Christ. So keep praying for them. You know, but... That's what I told some fellows last night. I was talking to a group of these men and some veterans and stuff like that. Guys I just really like. And uh, and get to joking around. And this guy goes, oh, sweet baby Jesus. And I just, it just rose up in me. I wasn't mad. I said, let me tell you something. He's not a baby anymore. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you see Him again, He's not going to be a suffering Savior. He's going to be a conquering King. He's going to be here to kick ass and take names. And they all went, whoa. And I said, and and if you're not on His team when He gets here, it's going to be too late to join. So let me just put that in your ear. Amen. Father, thank You for this day and for Your precious truth. We thank You for loving us and growing us in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know You better, Lord. Jesus gave us the definition of eternal life in John seventeen three. He said it's that we know You. And You, our Father, and Him, Jesus Christ, Your Son, whom You have sent. This knowing, this intimate, personal relationship with You is the definition of eternal life. And that's what we want, Lord. Help us to decrease that you may increase in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.